Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Let's turn to Romia, Romans. We're in the fourth chapter as we go into this Hebraic study of the book of Romans. We'll dive right in, chapter 4 and verse 1. What then shall we say? Avraham Avenu. Avraham, our father. There's a phrase for you, a famous phrase in the Hebrew. Avraham Avenu. Abraham, our father. To the Romans? Think about that. Paul is communicating to the apparently Gentile pagan Romans that have got nothing to do with Israel, but, you know, followers of the Pope. And he's saying that Abraham is our father. So right here, within the first verse of chapter 4, Paul is clearly communicating that his audience, the recipients of his letter, are none other than the scattered children of Israel who identify that Abraham is their father, the first Hebrew, one who crossed over from a pagan soil to a better soil to produce a better harvest. And that is exactly Paul's hopes for the Roman audience, that they would, like I, Avraham Avenue, cross back over from where they were exiled, they'd cross back over into the Hebrew soil and start to produce that Hebrew crop. So it's really good that we start off with the foundational phrase, Avraham Avenue, Abraham our father, to have found according to the flesh. For if Abraham by works was declared righteous, Zadik, He hath to boast, but not before Elohim. And here's the phrase. Here's the phrase we're going to be looking at in verse 2. For if Abraham by works was declared righteous, he hath to boast, but not before Elohim. And most of this chapter is going to be taken up by this phrase. So we can buzz right through it. But then we miss really what this whole fourth chapter is all about. What does it mean? Because there is deep, deep meaning. And we have to correct 2,000 years of people just buzzing through this phrase, thinking they know what it means with a papal Roman mind, instead of realizing verse 1 is setting you up. You've got to cross back over because you've got to have a Hebraic mind to even understand what the next thing is going to be talking about. So he's setting us up for success, and we have to slow things down to be successful. By works, for if Abraham by works was declared Zadik, righteous, he hath to boast, but not before Elohim. So what does, in the Greek, ex ergon diakathe mean... Or in the Hebrew, davar zadakah, by works declared righteous mean. What does that mean? Are we talking about whether it's righteousness, justification, concerns with covenant membership? Or are we talking about works of righteousness concerning you're set right by the right works that you do. 
Or are we talking about works of righteousness means it's the legalistic observances that you perform? Because your answer to those three questions is going to dramatically affect the faith that you walk out. So what on earth are we talking about? Covenant membership, one. Set right by works, two. Or just legalistic observances that you walk out, three. Now, really, in high Christendom, there's only been one answer to that question. There's only been one answer to that question, but I'm going to let you ponder a second answer to that question. But first, let's look at the traditional Christian interpretation of verse 1, and then I'll give you a second interpretation for you to ponder. Number one, this being that the text is limited to Yahweh's declaration of forgiveness and innocence upon the guilty sinner, right? The guilty sinner is all of a sudden declared righteous. Isn't that what this is talking about? This is the traditional Christian theme and interpretation of that verse. Number two, I think there's a much deeper reality that's being communicated here. That this text actually is going to lead us in through this whole chapter, if we allow it to, that we are going to be delving into the covenant membership reality of Abraham and his subsequent heirs. That's the kind of righteousness that we're talking about. The covenant membership that was granted to Abraham that then is passed down to his subsequent heirs. Does Paul spend a whole bunch of time talking about Abraham and his heirs? He does. He communicates that to the Galatians. He communicates that wherever he seems to go, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. Wherever he seems to be going, he seems to be pointing people back to Abraham and telling them, hey, you're the heirs of these promises that were given to Abraham. So this isn't talking about what mainline Christianity has said it's been talking about for 2,000 years, number one. It's actually addressing the covenant membership reality of Abraham and the blessing that is going to be passed down to his subsequent heirs, which is me and you. And that's this generation. That's this generation. Look at verse 3. For what doth the writing say? And Abraham did believe Yahuwah, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Of course, that's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Wow. Context. The context. We're actually hearkening back to those promises that were given in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12. The promise of nationhood and covenantal blessing. But why? What happened? What happened? We know that Abraham, we know that he couldn't earn his redemption, could he? There's nothing that he could do that could earn his redemption. But that's just the beginning That's just the beginning of the story. It's not the end. You just don't tie a bow on it and walk on by. 
This is the beginning of the story. And people will take verse 2 and say, well, that's the end of the deal. We're done. We're in Christ now. Let's move on. But we're just getting to the beginning of the story. He's taken us all the way back to the beginning. You want to end it? This is the best part. My goodness. Abraham's faith in Yahweh is primary. Your faith in Yahweh, it's primary. Your faith in Yahweh, it's primary. It's what drives us. It's what makes me alive. That's what keeps us going. Look at Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 26, verse 5. Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and the Hebrew, my Torah tie. My Torah tie. Look at that. Abraham had faith, faith that went far, far beyond any sort of adherence to a necessary required code of conduct. His faith wasn't about just doing a certain set of instructions. His faith went far beyond that. That's our call. Now, Messianic Judaism and Judaism will just have you adhere to a certain form of conduct. And you're keeping Torah. No, you're not. It has to extend far beyond that. Far beyond that. You're missing the whole point if you're just adhering to 613 fabricated commandments. There are no 613 commandments. That's a rabbinic lie. But this is what people tell us. Our faith has to go far beyond any sort of adherence to a necessary required code of conduct if we're going to be the heirs to what Abraham has for us. Abraham's life is simply exemplified in this. Abraham believed Yahweh. That's it. That is the life. Matthew believed Yahweh. That's it. And I had a bit of a reputation when I was at Calvary Chapel. And my wife had a bit of a reputation. We were these young 20-something kids that knew nothing. We had been a bunch of heathen. But we were so bold because we always just believed Yahuwah. And we would always go, but I hear what you're saying, but right here it says this. We, we believe that. Oh, you, you take it so literal. Yeah, yeah, we do. Because it, it's working in our life. Because we were lost and now we're found. And we don't have anything and we don't know anything but this. So we believe. Yeah, that's Matthew and Tamara. Don't ask them because they actually believe. And that's why they're always harassing and questioning things like the Sabbath. And what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Because they believe. Because they don't have 30 years of doctrine and dogma to unshackle themselves from. Because they were heathen. Those are kind of dangerous people to be around. 
Do you know what I mean? Very dangerous. They can really start to upset things, upset the doctrine. So when we look at this verse, chapter 4 is powerful because Abraham isn't a laborer waiting for wages to be owed him, is he? No way. The difference now, when we go forward into this covenant that is ratified through the cutting of the pieces in Genesis 15, the difference between the book of the covenant, which is, of course, the Torah, because Abraham believed and kept my statutes and my Torah tie, right there in Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, we know that the difference between the book of the covenant Torah of Abraham and the later book of the law of Aaron is what? Is that the Torah of Abraham was never to be acquainted with a work for which wages and blessings are due. Never. It was the natural byproduct of belief was the book of the covenant, right? It was the natural byproduct of belief. That was the Torah of Abraham. But the Torah, the book of the law of Aaron, was the unnatural byproduct of unbelief. That's the dichotomy. Yes, it's all Torah, but the book of the covenant is the natural byproduct of belief. And the Torah of Aaron, the book of the law, is the unnatural byproduct of unbelief. One came by great faith and one came by a lack of faith. This is huge. This is huge, and it's very simple when you can unravel it clearly because we're on the other side of the revelation that we can see clearly now. It's really the difference and the distinction between natural byproduct of belief versus unnatural byproduct and unbelief. Does that make sense? It's the distinction between natural byproduct of belief and an unnatural byproduct of unbelief. One was entered by faith, and the other one was entered by a lack of faith. One brings forth life and freedom. One brings forth death and a shackling of bondage. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of Yahuwah, thy Elohim, to keep his mitzvot, his commandments, and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto Yahuwah, thy Elohim, with all thine heart and with all thine soul. Now to the Psalms. Psalm chapter 32, verse 1. By David, an instruction. Oh, the happiness of him whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Oh, the happiness of a man to whom Yahuwah imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And Mishlei Proverbs chapter 17 verse 15. Whoso is justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous 
Even both of these are an abomination unto Yahuwah. See, Abraham understood all that was accounted to him came from belief in the promises of Yahuwah. Everything that he has. Everything that was given to him simply came from belief in the promises of Yahuwah. He rejoiced to see Yahushua's day, did he not? And what was that day? That was the day when the covenant between the pieces was made by Yahushua being that flaming torch and that burning oven right there in Genesis 15. The covenant between the pieces. And he knew it and was only the work of Yahushua in the covenant that brought about the availability of permanent forgiveness. So in sum, as we go into these first verses of chapter 4, we have to be able to differentiate. We have to be able to differentiate between the multiple components of justification, the Hebrew word zadachah, righteousness. Are we talking about, like we said last week, forensic righteousness? Are we talking about covenantal or corporate righteousness, which is the nation? Or are we talking about positional and individual righteousness. We have to be able to differentiate between the kind of righteousness that is being communicated within the text. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 106 and verse 30. This trips many people up, talking of Pincus or Phineas. And Phineas standeth and executeth judgment. Of course, it's referring back to Numbers chapter 25, verse 7. Got to watch out for the javelin chucker. And Phineas standeth and executeth judgment, and the plague is restrained. And it is reckoned to him to righteousness to all generations unto the age. That troubles people. What are we talking about? Is he forensically righteous? Are we talking about forensic righteousness that enables him to pass from this world into the next world? Is he covered, atoned for, hilsamas, keporah, because of this work? That's the knee-jerk reaction. Or are we talking about a corporate righteousness? Is he brought into a new nation or something going on here? Is this corporate righteousness? Or is this positional and individual? What, what's going on? Oh, it's not really that important. Let's just read on to the next verse or go into the New Testament, start in the book of John. No, it is important. But you can't just blow this stuff off because it will mess up your whole theology without you even understanding it. Because you don't understand righteousness. And all of a sudden you'll be making broad brush strokes like kicking out the law because you'll be thinking, well, I'm righteous in Yeshua. I don't do that stuff. Well, hang on a minute. You've messed it all up and stirred it all together and you've ended up with a bowl of soup of pottage and you've sold your birthright to the Pope. Right? This is your inheritance. Abraham is your inheritance. We're supposed to be heirs. And you're selling your birthright out because you've mixed up a bowl of theological soup because you can't differentiate between what the heck's going on when we hear the Hebrew word zadakah or the English word righteousness. To you, it's just all about Jesus' blood. 
Never to diminish Yahushua's blood. Let it never be so. But it must have its right and proper standing in what we're talking about. Forensic righteousness can never be touched by my individual righteousness or the national righteousness. But don't try and bring forensic righteousness down to your level of individual or national righteousness. You've actually, by making a bowl of pottage, you've actually diminished the work of Yahushua when you think you're actually making it special. What is up, you've actually made down. What is black is really white. Isn't that the world that we live in? Very much so. Very much so. So we have to be able to recognize the righteousness. Let's address what kind of righteousness we're talking about with Phineas here. This isn't a verdict of innocence attributed to the individual Pincus. That's not the kind of righteousness that Psalm 106 verse 30 is talking about. This isn't talking about personal righteousness. Oh, Phineas, he's some righteous dude now. No, that's not what it's talking about. Because the very next verse has the Hebrew word, Vador ad olam, Vador ad olam, which draws our attention to what? The clan of Phineas. The clan of Phineas is being reckoned as Yahuwah's clan. That's the kind of clan. That's the kind of righteousness. Yahuwah says, you know what, Phineas, your clan? They're my clan forever. That is a different kind of righteousness, isn't it? See, Phineas's clan now is brought into a covenantal, corporate righteousness. Does that make sense? This is so important when we understand Romans, the letter to the Romans. Because we're talking about a people that have gone off and joined a pagan clan. And now Paul is communicating to them, hey, look what Yahweh did for Phineas and his clan. By you recognizing Abraham and deciding to cross back over from that pagan harlotry into the better soil of Israel, you can be partakers of the promises given to Abraham. You can be a partaker of the heirs and the blessings of promise, and you will be reckoned as a corporate clan joined back into Israel, no longer called Gentiles, and he will make the what? The one new man, Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he's communicating. And he sets us up for success right there in verse 1 with Avraham Avenue. Then if you don't get it, you just have to look at verse 2, and now he sets you up with identifying what righteousness. And we miss this? It's so simply right there in your face if you just slow it down. Right? And, you know, I do take things pretty slow. My wife's like, are you still reading that? I have to often read things ten times and write notes and then erase them and rewrite them. To really understand and, and pray, of course, while I'm doing it. To slow it way down and all of a sudden it pops and you're like, it's right there. But you just can't buzz through this in your daily devotionals. 
So now let's go on, because what we're talking about here, of course, Psalm 106, verse 30, the verdict is, of course, Vador ad olam, drawing our attention, of course, to the clan of Phineas is being reckoned as Yahweh's own covenantal corporate clan. This is not talking about forensic. This is not talking about positional. This is not talking about individual righteousness, but covenantal and corporate clan righteousness. That makes sense. Now we can go on to verse 4. And to him who is working, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And to him who is not working and is believing upon him, who is declaring righteous the impious, his faith is reckoned to righteousness. Even as David also doth speak of the happiness of the man to whom Elohim doth reckon righteousness apart from work. Happy they whose lawless acts were forgiven and whose sins were covered. Happy the man to whom Yahweh may not reckon sin. And verse 9. Is this happiness then upon the circumcision? Or also upon the uncircumcision? So now we're going to drill down into the covenantal aspect of Genesis 15 and the sign token of Genesis 17. So we've gone from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15, and now we're looking at the sign of Genesis 17. This is all very important with the righteousness that we're talking about that Paul is declaring to the Romans, who aren't a bunch of pagans that have no connection to Israel, but are the scattered tribes that must cross back over and become Hebrews. Is this, verse 9, happiness then upon the circumcision or also upon the uncircumcision? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham, to righteousness. How then was it reckoned? Was it reckoned him being circumcised or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but of course, uncircumcision was fa- is where he was found righteous. And we remember the narrative. Look at verse 12. And father of circumcision to those not of circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith. That is, in the uncircumcision of our father Abraham. And some of your heads are just spinning at this point. Genesis 15 is the covenant where Yahushua said thus, Avraham, Avraham, your father, he was glad to see my day, and he rejoiced. John chapter 8, verse 56. That day was Genesis 15. That's the day that Yahushua communicated to them where Abraham saw him. And he saw his day, and he was glad, and he rejoiced. What happened? That was the cutting of the covenant and the passing between the pieces. Later, two chapters later, in Genesis 17, the token entrance sign to the covenant 
was given, which of course was circumcision. And this is the majestic, the majestic Pauline point that he is making. And most miss this. Listen. All Israel were to enter the covenant, both male and female, by passing through the cutting of the pieces. And that was later symbolized through the cutting of the male organ, right? Still, all Israel, both male and female, would pass through the organ as seed, would they, would they not? And therefore, it was as if they were actually walking through the pieces. And therefore, they were partaking of the covenant with all of its promises. By them passing through the organ as seed, male and female, it was as if they were right there at Genesis 15. That is the whole point of circumcision. There is nothing more to that point, nothing less. That was all that it meant. That's it. That was the sign. You're passing through the pieces. Doesn't matter if you're a man. Doesn't matter if you're a woman. You all came through the cut organ. Therefore, you pass through the pieces. You are nationally, covenantally righteous. End of story. Until the golden calf. So now we can continue on. And here's the revelation. Here is the sowed. Paul talks about this. The sowed mystery. The deep mystical revelation. And here it is. As Yahusha, think about it, as Yahusha didn't pass through the cutting of Joseph's organ, did he? Oh. So Yahusha didn't pass through the cutting of Joseph's organ as seed. And if the covenant was broken in Exodus chapter 32 at the golden calf, then how did Yahusha get the covenantal restoration rights granted unto him? How did he do that? I'll repeat that in case you missed it. If Yahusha didn't pass through as seed Joseph's organ and the covenant was broken in Exodus chapter 32, then how did he, Yahushua, get the covenantal restoration rights granted to him? And that is the great mystery of the gospel. That begs to be answered. It just begs to be answered. Verse 17 of Genesis 15. Yahushua is the burning torch and Yahushua's circumcision is for all to enter covenant by faith through his crucifixion and resurrection. It is now by the cutting of Yahushua's body, subsequent death, burial, and resurrection, that you get to pass as seed through the cutting of the pieces and restored as the rightful heirs to the covenantal promise. 
So you hear me say it so many times, who's your high priest? And then last week I said, well, who's your mercy seat? And it just gets better and better. Who's your cutting? Is it your cutting in your flesh? What kind of cutting are you looking at? Because I'm looking at the cutting that was placed upon Yahusha's body that is attributed to me that I'm going to pass through. That's the cutting and the circumcision that only matters to me. Do you see? It just gets better and better and better. And you elevate Yahusha more and more and more as you drill into the text of the Scriptures. And that's how it should be as we progress as saints. We should literally fall more and more in love with the one that purchased us because he becomes even more precious, more precious and more precious as we learn more and more about him. So much more, so much more. I have so much greater faith now in this understanding. Oh, and I lack faith so much. We were talking about that today in the things of the world and my struggles during the... Oh, I lack so much faith. And I often pray, and I pray before Yahweh, I am a man of little faith, and in my weak faith, increase my faith. And I'm just honest. And you may all look at me and think, oh, I must be a man of great faith to teach up here before you all. I am a man of great faith in Yahweh and in the Word, but sometimes I feel that maybe I might get bypassed. And that's where I struggle in my faith. I think we all do, don't we? Oh, I have great faith when I speak of these things. But then when it comes to me, I feel, well, maybe Yahweh, he's just too busy for me. And that is our struggle, is it not? But I'm just honest and I say, in my lack of faith, give me faith. And that's a prayer of faith right there. So then I know that we're, oh, it's, it's, it just all things work together for good that those that love Yahweh, right? But these are the, this is real. I want to be real with you. But look at this. Verse 17 of Genesis 15. Yahushua is the burning torch. And Yahushua's circumcision, his circumcision, is for all to enter covenant. And I'm not talking circumcision of the member. It is the circumcision not made by hands. It's the flaying of Yahushua's flesh as diametrically opposed to the flaying of man's flesh. What flesh do you want to be flayed? And that's it. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. He was wounded for your transgressions. Meaning that when you are in sin, you literally pray your sin upon the body of Yahushua because he took the beating for your sin. His blood atones, but his broken body took the sin beating for you and I. That's what the prophet Isaiah says in the 53rd chapter. Now we can look and see what Paul is communicating to the Colossians, opens up in the second chapter in the 11th verse and gives us a broad landscape picture. Colossians 2.11, In whom also ye were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh, in the circumcision of 
of the Messiah. Both the physical body is to be put off. Yes, your physical body of sin is to be put off. But the text is telling us so much more now. It's also the book of the law, the body of the book of the law, which has a list of your sins. That also, that body is to be put off by the burning torch and the circumcision made of the hands of Yahushua. That's the body. That body of work, the book of the law, and that sinful body of your flesh and my flesh is to be put off by the work and hands of Yahushua. Not unto lawlessness, but unto the Torah of Abraham, which was always entered by faith. Genesis 15, the book of the covenant. Beautifully succinct. Now as we go forward, this makes more sense to me in the 13th verse of the 4th chapter. For not through law is the promise to Abraham or to his seed of his being heir of the world, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they who are of law are heirs, the faith has been made void and the promise it has made useless. That's some serious words right there. And this key verse can't be understood by limiting the text to either nomos or Torah. Nomos, Torah, that's all it is. Let's move on. Torah, Torah, Torah. There's more here. You can't limit this text to just nomos and Torah. Law, Torah, and move on. You simply can't. Because if we limit this text to law, if we limit this text to Torah, Nomos, it teaches the promise didn't come through the Torah, right? And that the Torah brings forth no heirs. Well, that contradicts what we've just read about Abraham, which is in the Torah. So there's a problem here that must be addressed. And the problem isn't with the text. The problem is with me and you and our interpretation of it. And we trip up over doctrine and dogma and church discipline. But the reality of it is this. Now, the institutionalized church trips and fumbles all over this position. But there's so much more that is going on here that can only be learned through the book of the law and the book of the covenant dichotomy. Both are law. Both are Torah, but we have to understand the dichotomy to bring forth the revelation. Because of Abraham, Abraham's faith and belief, Yahweh accredited to him as Zadakah, righteousness. Positional and individual, yes, but also covenantal and corporate, right? He got the whole deal. He got the whole deal, did Abraham. He got positional and individual, but also covenantal and corporate nationhood. Promise. The covenantal and corporate came through the book of the law? No. It came through the book of the covenant to his seed, making him 
an heir, making him an heir. So the very words of Paul seem at first glance to contradict the Genesis narrative, did they not? If you just look at it at Torah, 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 law, 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 nomos, nomos, nomos. But no, when you look down deeper, we have to get past that knee-jerk reaction because the knee-jerk reaction is, well, let's just do away with the law. Right? There's obviously a conflict going on here. I wasn't into the law anyway. Are you? I'm not into it. It's got nothing to do with Sunday. Right? Let's just do away with it. Right? It's easy. Wrong. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not that easy. You see, the dichotomy to which Paul is speaking is this. Through the book of the law, no promise was made to Abraham and his seed. No promise. The promise came through pistis, faith, covenantal faith, and fidelity. And fidelity. If they who are of the book of the law were to be heirs, then the faith of Abraham to which the promise was made would be void and useless. I'll repeat that. If they who are of the book of the law were to be heirs, then the promise of faith which was given to Abraham to which the promise was made would be void and useless. You don't get to be heirs of the promises given to Abraham through adherence to the book of the law because the book of the law has got nothing to do with Abraham's faith. It's got everything to do with a corporate people group who lacked faith. There's going to be no inheritance there but an inheritance of the flesh of man and the cutting of men's flesh. And animal flesh being flayed. That's the only flaying that's going on. But we are called to a higher flaying, if you will. Does that make sense? Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. For the law doth work wrath. For where law is not, neither is transgression. For the book of the law does not work wrath. For where there is no book of the law, there is no golden calf transgression, is your interpretation. Right? There would be no need for the book of the law if there was no golden calf transgression. No need whatsoever. We'd still be in covenantal blessing. The context here is the covenant of Abraham, not a worldwide, broad brushstroke definition of sins charged by the law as we've been taught. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 17 to cement this in. Is everybody following so far? Even rainbow suspenders in the back, are you following? Hallelujah. Thank you for wearing your Noah suspenders today. They're fabulous. I like them. Rock on, Tommy. (laughs) Galatians 3.17. And this I say, a covenant confirmed before by Elohim to Messiah, the book of the law, the law that came 430 years after, doth not set aside to make void the promise. 
Verse 18, for if by the law, the book of the law, be the inheritance, it is no more by promise. But to Abraham through promise did Elohim grant it. Verse 19, why then the law, of course the book of the law, on account of the transgression at the golden calf, it was added till the seed might come. Of course, this is talking about his covenant cutting. This is, isn't talking about the glandular cutting of the member. There is no glandular limitation here. Now we go on. To which the promise hath been made, having been set in order through messengers, Elohim, in the hand of a mediator. Wow. Galatians 3.17. The promise was received by faith in the book of the Torah realm. Book of the Covenant Torah realm is where the promises was received. Apart from and 430 years way before the book of the law came onto the scene. Paul assumes the truth here in Romans of what he's clearly demonstrating here in Galatians 3, verse 17. That is this, that since the book of the law came 430 years after the promise, the promise can in no ways be dependent upon the book of the law. That's just common sense, isn't it? Meaning the book of the law is not congruent with faith in Messiah. There, I just said it. Meaning the book of the law is not congruent with faith in Messiah, yet the Torah of Abraham is. And that's where the majority just get all stuck up. Because they'll just try and twist my words and say, see, Matthew just said to do away with the book of the law. He, he not, they shouldn't even call the ministry Torah to the tribes. We've had that before. But then on the flip side of that, I just said we should be keeping the Torah of Abraham. But the mind can't comprehend it. The mind of man cannot comprehend this. It must be a revelation by the Ruach HaKodesh because you have the circumcision made not of hand. Because when I communicate this to the people, Yahweh's children, there is no trouble there initially, immediately gravitate and grasp hold. Why? Because you're smart? You are smart. No, because you're converted. The Spirit testifies. That is the children of faith. And that is what distinguishes you from religious people. And it is powerful that I look and I see transformed lives because you are transformed within. That we understand that we are to keep the Torah, but we understand the distinction between covenantal and promise and law and condemnation. And that is the end time message to be delivered to the nations. If the Malkizedek inheritance were dependent to, to obedience to the book of the law, faith would have no place in the divine scheme of things and the promise would simply be void. Since the book of the law could never bring about the obedience it requires for its fulfillment. Never. Only where there, listen, only where there is no book of the law is there no golden calf transgression accounted against you. 
Only where there is no book of the law is there no golden calf transgression accounted for you. But you want to eat your bloody cake and have it all, don't you? You want Torah, 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 Torah. Oh, but I don't want to be condemned by the law. But you don't get to have your cake and eat it. That's not how it works. You don't get to double dip in your religious mumbo jumbo. Picking and choosing whatever suits your religious fancy. It doesn't work like that. You better be in covenant or out of covenant. You don't get to play around in a little bit of covenant, play around in a little bit of Torah, a little bit of the book of the law, a bit of book of the covenant, mix it all together, strap on your seat seat and put on your, your blooming tallit and dress up in all your Judaica and try and condemn your Christian brothers as you're self-righteous, dancing around with your Davidic gypsy dance. You don't get to do that nonsense. Sorry. I mean, my goodness. But you're laughing because you've been to those messianic conferences and you're like, my goodness, who let the crazies out of the crazy house? Wow. Am I like this? Surely not that mad. It was fun, though. For a while, <laughs> kind of, my wife's like, no, it really wasn't. <laughs> You've had a good time. Ignorance is bliss. But only where there is no book of the law is there no golden calf transgression accounted to you. If you keep the book of the law, you keep the transgression which is accounted to you. There you have it. You can't double dip. Where there is a book of the law, it brings about wrath. And the only way to bypass that is not by the passing through the cutting of the organ. That's not going to bypass the wrath. But by passing through the cutting of Yahusha, that burning torch, his payment for the death penalty of Genesis 15. Now turn with me, please, to Exodus Shemot chapter 32, verse 10. Exodus chapter 32, verse 10. And now let me alone that my anger doth wax hot against thee. There's the King Jimmy for you right there. That's a good one, isn't it? That my anger doth wax hot against thee. And I consume them, and I make thee become a great nation. Exodus 32, verse 11. And Moshe appeaseth the face of Yahuwah, his Elohim, and saith, Why, O Yahuwah, doth thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, and with great power and with a mighty strong hand? Why do the Egyptians speak, saying, For evil he hath brought them out to slay them among the mountains and to consume them from off the face of the earth, from off the ground? Turn back from the heat of thine anger and repent of the evil against thy people. 
Look at verse 13 of Exodus chapter 32. Be mindful of who? Be mindful of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel, Jacob, thy servants to whom thou hast, now look at the kicker, to whom thou hast sworn by thyself, unto whom thou hast speakest, I multiply your seed as stars of the heavens and of all this land. As I have said, I give to your seed, and they have inherited to the age. This is the golden calf breach, is it not? And it is subsequent relenting of its subsequent relenting of Yahweh, where he was going to commit genocide upon the nation of Israel. But he relented and he didn't perform genocide upon the nation of Israel, but instead he imposed, they never agreed to it, he imposed the book of the law. And this is undeniably right here, this text connected back to who? Abraham. And in case you miss it, look at verse 13. Shabbat swore. Rabbah multiply. Zirah seed. Kokab stars. Eretz land. And Nachal inheritance. Where do you get all those Hebrew words? Where are they even framed from? Where is Exodus chapter 32, 32, verse 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 pointing you back to? Where is it saying that the golden calf breach is directly connected back to something? It is connected back to the promises given to Abraham. Because you failed to keep the promises given to Abraham and you failed to keep the book of the covenant, Exodus 19 through 24, 11. I will now, because of that, instead of committing genocide upon you and wiping you all out, I am now, because of this breach at the golden calf right here, reminding you of what you're not going to get. You are not going to get Shabbat. You are not going to get Rabbah. You are not going to be Zerah. You are not going to look and see the Kokab. You are not going to enter into the fullness of the Eretz. And you are not Nachal, my inheritance. And I simply don't understand how you cannot make the connections. And people have fought for years against this because the Traditional Judaic and Christian interpretation is the book of the law and the book of the covenant are synonymous. That's like saying that the Pope's holy. It's just simply not true. Look at verse 16 of our text of Romans chapter 4. Because of this, it is of faith that it may be according to grace, for the promise being sure to all seed, not to that which is of the law only, but also to that which is of the faith of Abraham. Being born a descendant of Abraham, it actually does give the Jews certain benefits, yes. But automatic salvation is not one of them. This is the worldview that Shaul, Paul, and Yahushua were up against. 
the Jews thought they, they had blessings in the world to come simply because they were connected to Abraham. And that is what he was fighting against. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Avraham our father. For I say to you that Elohim is able to these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And John chapter 8, verse 33. They answered him saying, we, but we have Abraham. We are Abraham's seed. And we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? You see, the principles of the Shema, that Yahweh is one Elohim for the Jew and one Elohim for the Gentile, the idea of righteousness by trusting in Yahweh being accessible to Gentiles and Jews as well, this was huge. This predates not only Moses and the giving of the Torah, but it even predates Abraham, does it not? It's for all people. For all nations. And that's the gospel news. The world to which Abraham was actually looking for was a Malkitzedic world to come. It was the eternal covenant state. And the writer of Hebrews directs us to that very clearly in the 11th chapter and the 10th verse by saying this, For Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is Yahuwah. Think about that. Verse 17 of our text in chapter 4. Who is the father of us all, according as it hath been written, a father of many nations I have set thee, before him who he did believe, Elohim, who is quickening from the dead and is calling the things that be not, as being so. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? Speaking forth life, speaking forth those things into existence that are not right now. Verse 18, who against hope in hope did believe for his becoming father of many nations according to that spoken, so shall thy seed be. And not having been weak in the faith, he did not consider his own, bedi, or his own body already becoming dead, being about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And verse 20, And at the promise of Elohim did not stagger in unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, having given glory to Yahweh. And see, giving glory to Yahweh, that's the hallmark of our faith. That's the hallmark of our faith. Verse 21 of chapter 4. And having been fully persuaded that what he hath promised, he is able also to do. Wherefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And it was not written on his account alone that it was reckoned to him, but also upon ours, to whom it is about to be reckoned, to us believing on him, who did raise up Yahusha, our Messiah, out of the dead, who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised up because of our be being declared righteous. Look what the prophet Isaiah says in the 12th verse of the 53rd chapter. Therefore I give a portion to him among the many, and with the mighty 
he appointeth spoil. Because that he was exposed to death, his soul, and with the transgressions he was numbered. And he, the sin of many, hath borne. And for transgressors he did intercedeth. You see, Yahusha, Yahusha was handed over because we're sinners. And he was raised up for the sake of our justification. Now that's forensic righteousness. That's forensic righteousness. The redeemed being made forensically righteous by the work of Yahusha. Yaakov, James reminds us how faith works and flows. Faith flows, in fact, into works. Look at James 2 verse 19. Thou believest that there is one Elohim. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Right? But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is... It's dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed Yahweh, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend, the friend of Elohim. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You see, James tells us that these works that we will be judged by are the works of royal Torah. And they're connected back to Abraham. They're not at all connected to the law that came 430 years later. James in 1 Verse 25 says this, But whoso looketh into the perfect law, the Torah of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed, shall be blessed indeed. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law, the Torah of liberty. And what did Saul, Paul, conclude when he spoke to the Ephesians in the second chapter and the tenth verse to finish and close? For you, we are his workmanship. We were created in Messiah Yahusha for good works, Torah. But it's got to be covenantal, book of the covenant Torah, which Elohim hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We walk through the covenant of the pieces by taking a hold of the cut and flayed Yahusha. That's what it is. We walk through the covenant of the pieces by taking a hold of the cut and flayed Yahusha. So what's your sign? What's your sign? Is it in your flesh or is it in his flesh? That's what I'm talking about, and that's what Paul's talking about to the Romans. And he sets them up for success from the very first verse or paragraph better in this letter. Avraham Avenue, just as Abraham was a pagan idolater,
And he crossed over into some better soil by becoming a Hebrew. You, Israelites, that have been living out in the nations since the Assyrian exile, now is your chance, your opportunity to be like Abraham, your father. Cross back over from that pagan Roman soil. Leave all that paganism behind. Cross back over and become a Hebrew, a Chavah. Transfer from that corrupt pagan soil into a better soil and produce a better crop. And when you connect to the book of the covenant by the cutting and flaying of your Messiah's flesh, you'll actually be partaker of all the promises. You'll get covenantal righteousness. You'll be brought into the covenant of Israel. And if you stir the faith within your heart, you'll get the individual righteousness as you start to walk out that faith and distance yourself from the corrupt nations. But most importantly, by attributing Yahusha's cutting of his flesh, you get the forensic righteousness that you need that will bring you into all of the other righteousness because of the flowing of faith will produce the good works. Romans chapter 4. But you've got to understand the difference between the kind of righteousness that he's talking about. Forensic by Yahusha. Covenantal and national to the community. Individual and personal by faith. And you have to be able to distinguish the difference between that Torah of Abraham, which was covenant, book of the covenant, and a law that was added because they had no faith. The book of the law. And there you come into the faith that was once delivered to the saints. This is such an important book as I delve further in. Questions, comments, anybody. Very sobering, isn't it? But it's exciting to see that we are on the right narrow path. In the back. Can you turn that on? You have a nice military voice, but it's... I can't hear him. Is it green or is it red? Oh, there you go. Yes. So, um, I'll restate that. Restate. Was circumcised in Genesis 17, 24, which was after Ishmael was born. After Ishmael? Is this why Ishmael wasn't the heir? Because Abraham did not obey and wait on Yahweh. Yahweh. Yeah, one more time for me. Sorry, okay. I've got to focus. The, the question is really is, um, is why, isn't, why wasn't Ishmael the heir? That's the question. He was the son of no promise. That's the question. No That's promise. The question. He was from the slave woman. Entered by no faith. No faith. No faith at all. And uh, he, was, was he, he was 13, wasn't he, when... Uh, the circumcision, which is, of course, why the false religion of Islam circumcised. You can be in Jerusalem and you see all these little um, Muslims running around in white shirts with blood spots on the front of them when they're 13, you know. That's why. Because they're crazy. Next question uh, yes, we have sorry. is, it's, it's kind of related, so um, we we're going to ask this one. Was not the killing of the 3,000 before the imposed law? Uh, that moment where the adulterous wife is condemned by drinking the powdered gold from the calf, like in Numbers 5. Yeah, they, that's right. 
John, you look perplexed. Process, process the question. Oh, it's hard, you know, people, they have these great questions, but you don't necessarily know when they're not right here, where, what, they're, what the background is to that question, but it's a great question and a very, um, very, very important question. Yeah. Yes. Exodus uh, 2411 and 2412 has been one of the most difficult things to explain as we transfer from the covenant narrative to the law narrative. Right. Based on whether it's the narrative of mitzvot or the narrative of the chronology. You read uh, Exodus 32.15 a moment ago, where Moses turned and went down from the mount with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. It, isn't he just repeating Exodus 24.12 there? Moses, come up here, I'll give you a law on tablets. Correct, 24.12. Exactly the same verse, just being repeated. Yeah. You so see, that and that, that is the biggest, connect. the biggest, and I mean, we have, we have got thousands of years of tradition that we fight against but it's not really that that is part of it but it's our western culture our whole western culture is set up in a linear thinking it's the way we are look at the way the streets are designed in america it's a grid system now, some of you get in a car and come over to where I'm from and put you in a roundabout and you panic. Oh, my goodness, it's a roundabout. I love roundabouts. If you miss the turn, you just keep on going around. Cyclical thinking. But all that to say this, when we get into linear thinking, which is how you're grown up, you've been raised, especially with the scripture, it's chronological. Then you become shackled to it. But my biggest one is I just say, look, understand the difference between the narrative, which is chronological, but the mitzvot, the commandments, are achronological, meaning Obviously, after Abraham, in the chronology, there was Isaac. After Isaac, in the chronology, the narrative, was Jacob. That's the narrative. But the mitzvot, oh, that's thematic. That is achronological, meaning that when they're talking about manna, they say, lay up the manna in Exodus chapter 16, beside the Ark of the Testimony. Well, hang on a minute. That wasn't even made till Exodus chapter 25. So where's your chronology now? Right? Because what you're talking about is mitzvot. That's not chronological. So this is the key. Exodus 24 verse 11, the Covenant is blood ratified, therefore, Galatians, you cannot add to an already established covenant. So when there is a new law or an added law, come up here and I will also give you this law in Exodus 24, 12. That cannot be any part of the already established blood ratified covenant. So there is a break there in the chronology. We are now dealing with an, achrono an achronological text and you have to go, what happened here? Well, even the sages will tell you that Exodus 25 forward... 
about the tabernacle, that's only inserted there because of the golden calf sin. If there was no golden calf sin, there would have been no need for Yahweh to bring you a diagram of a tabernacle. You guys messed up so bad, so bad, you've broken the covenant that I'm literally going to draw you a children's picture and for the next 2,000 years out, I'm going to put you in tutorage and schooling. And you are going to go into the Wendy house and you're going to do animal sacrifices until you can recognize when my son comes and then we'll get you back to where you should have been. That, even the sages, even Rashi will, and you know, I'll only mention the rabbis when they work for me, um, will agree that that's what happened. So again, it's our culture. We need to go and drive around some roundabouts a little more. Any other questions, comments, cabbage? None. All right, let's close in prayer. Abba Yahweh, we thank you for the words that you have brought forth through your servants, the prophets, the apostles, and your Talmudim, your disciples, Abba. It is a powerful word, Abba. Your word is holy. It is living and alive in us. We thank you for the quickening of your Ruach, your Holy Spirit, Abba. And we ask now, Abba, that you would make forth and bring forth multiplication because we know that your word does not return void. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your people in Yahusha's mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Stick around. Hang out.